Today, I want to give you some real talk and try to help you with something that God has been helping me with for several years. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, I've got it on the screen if you don't have it in your Bible, Ephesians 4, verse number 20. Paul said, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Notice what Paul says right here, that you put off concerning the former conversation. That, that word conversation could be translated as lifestyle. Everybody say lifestyle. lifestyle. I want you to put off the former lifestyle. Th that is the old man, who you used to be. Let's talk about you, BC, before Christ. He says, because that old man is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yeah. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I remember being in middle school, and everybody that I knew, every cool kid in class had a starter jacket. And I wanted a starter jacket so darn bad. I, me and my brothers begged my mama for a starter jacket. And she got, I got an Orlando Magic starter jacket. Didn't know a blessed thing about the Orlando Magic. But I got me a cool looking, and, I, and then I immediately became a fan of Shaquille O'Neal after I got me an Orlando Magic starter jacket. And I wore that thing around until I couldn't fit in it no more. I wore that thing so proudly. I thought I was so cool. I remember I got that starter jacket for Christmas. It, we went back to school after the winter break. I come walking in there like, you want to say, say something? You see, what, what, what is it? You like this? I put it on display. So proud, man. It'd be 100 degrees in the classroom. I'm sitting there sweating, wearing my starter jacket, representing. Y'all remember Umbro's? Remember Umbro shorts? Remember that? Them little, them little paper thin gym shorts come about mid-thigh. Ain't nothing worse than a hairy quad. <laughs> had them um, umbros on. I had hairy legs in sixth grade, man. I got a grown man sitting there in my desk. <laughs> Umbro shorts. You sit down, they go about mid-thigh. You're like a cheerleader sitting there. Oh, my hair on the bottom side of your leg. Nasty looking. My mama, my mama dressed me and my brothers up. Ryan is, is in between me and Jake. He's, uh, Jake's seven years younger than me. I know I look younger, but he's seven years younger than me. And uh, my brother Ryan, my mama dressed us up. She got us, um, she got us like track suits. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like a, like a, like a, a windbreaker, a jumpsuit. They had an Olin Mills in Athens. You know, where you dress your family up like stupid and go take a picture and preserve it for all of eternity. She, I, I, come, I, come, I come into school, and I wore that jump to school, man. I wore I look like a Russian mobster. Look, look like Polly Walnuts from the, the Sopranos walking around in a dadgum jumpsuit, you know? We can see got a picture still on the wall somewhere in the house of me and my brother sitting there in a dadgum tracksuit. All that stuff was like 80s and 90s conglomerate just you know, slapped together. And here's the deal. I, look, I can't wear none of that stuff no more. I've grown out of it. You know, I, I, I literally, like, I've grown out of it mentally. I've grown out of it physically. I mean, how, how ridiculous would it be if next Sunday I came in here wearing a pair of umbros? <laughs> and a starter jacket. Kool-Aid socks. Hacked up, hairy knees, preaching the word. Man, wouldn't that be horrible? I'd be like, man, what's wrong with Pastor D? He done lost his mind. Dressing like that. Don't he know? Somebody needs to tell him, that's, not, that's no longer in style. Like, that fad went away. Plus, it's too that gum short, man. Man, wearing a crop top up there in a starter jacket. It looks ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, isn't, that, isn't that silly? That's silly, isn't it? That's what Paul's saying. He's, 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 trying, he's trying to make light of it, but he's being real direct. And he, and he paints this analogy of wardrobe. He says, you've been wearing the old man, the old lifestyle, the old you. You've been wearing that on you, and that ain't even you no more. That's out of date. That's out of style. That's, that's who you used to be. And he says, you've been saved now. You, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been born from above, of the Spirit. Not just of water, but of water and of Spirit. John chapter 3. You now have the Spirit of God residing in you. 
He said, you wearing around that cloak, that clothing, that, that outer lifestyle of the old man. He said, that ain't you. He said, you need to take that thing off, disrobe. Because he said, we done with all these wardrobe malfunctions. We done living out of style. He says, you've outgrown that. You can't fit in that no more. It used to be comfortable. It used to be you. He said, but we got to take that off and we got to start getting dressed for the occasion and we got to start wearing the new us. We got to start letting what's in us start getting on us. Oh, somebody help me preach this thing. We got to start letting the new man, the inner man that has been sanctified and justified. He says, you got to start wearing that as your outer style, your lifestyle. That's got to be your new conversation, your new behavior. And the reality is just like the church of Ephesus, every believer in this room right now faces the same exact challenges. Lifestyle, what we put on. Some of us got to hide in the closet, but we'll wear it out on a Friday night. Some of us got to hide in the closet, but we'll put on those religious clothes on a Sunday morning. Some of us got to hide in somewhere, but we'll wear it to work during the week. Talk to me now. And when I say, you know what's so funny? When I'm talking about lifestyle, and I'm talking about the outer man, the inner man. When I start talking about the old man versus the new man, and I start talking about changing your style and changing your lifestyle, everybody's thinking of sin. Sin and sins and this sin and that sin. I was, this is wrong and that's wrong. And I shouldn't do this anymore. Maybe, maybe a lot of what's corrupt in the former lifestyle, maybe it ain't got nothing to do with sin. Maybe, maybe it's indirectly connected to sin. Like maybe, it's the, maybe our lifestyle is connected to our mindsets and the way we view the world, the way we think about things, the way we process things. The way we view things. And, and much of that mentality maybe reverberates from a sinful state and a sinful nature. But, but perhaps a lot of our style, a lot of our lifestyle is connected to, to that, 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 that one verse that's sandwiched between the old man and the new man. And he says, you got to get renewed in your mind. This, this whole thing's got to start in your head. And all this stuff that used to fit that don't no longer fit, all, these, all this lifestyle that you outgrew that ain't you anymore, he says, it's, it's all, it's all got to be swapped and it's all got to be changed and it's all got to be updated. But that update don't start with your hands. That update starts in your head. And he says, we, we got to change our style. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, change your style. Change your style. Change your style. It's time to change your style. It's time to change your style. It's time to change your style. And Paul said this in verse 23. If you want to change your style, you got to change your mind. If you want to change your lifestyle, your mind, he said in verse 23, must be renewed. Everybody say renewed. It's got to be renovated. It's got to be reset. Think of a control panel. It's been wired incorrectly. And we got stuff plugged into places that don't need to be plugged into. And wires that run from corrupt sources plugged into the control panel of our mind and our, our values and our, our thought processes and, and the way we view things, our outlook. And all that stuff's been wired incorrectly. And Paul's saying, we got to rewire this thing up here in our head. We got to rewire the way we think about things and the way we view things. Your mind. My God, more than likely... Most of the minds in this room right now as I'm preaching are being underutilized. You've got this great tool that God gave you. This amazing machine of a mind and you're underutilizing it. You're not tapping in to what it's really capable of. You have any idea what you've got in your head? This mind that performs beyond supercomputer capabilities. This, this mind that computes and formulates and it solves and it possesses, theoretically, it possesses an endless library of memory. Right now while I'm preaching, while you're sitting in this room, your mind, it's filing data left and right. It's sending and receiving all kind of messages throughout the body using all these sensory receptors built into the five senses and you're processing new information consistently and continually. Right now while I'm preaching, you hear the air conditioner, the heater running right now and you feel warm in the room and you're like, oh, I got to take this coat off. It's getting kind of hot in here. And, 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 and you, you can sit down. All of a sudden a notifi notification comes on your phone. You see it at your peripheral vision and, and you check it out. And at the same time, you flip 
flipping pages in your Bible, one of the kids gets a squirm in the seat. Hey, sit still. Be quiet. We're sitting in church. We've got to behave ourselves. Ain't it funny we tell our kids to be quiet in church, but we up hollering? <laughs> Talk about sending mixed signals. <laughs> one day we were sitting in a worship service, and one of my kids was talking. I said, shh, we're quiet in church. He looked at me like, quiet in church? All the while, we're processing. Somebody gets up, goes out of the room. Somebody comes down the aisle to their seat. And all the while, we're seeing just processing, thinking, listening. Y'all called you out, Megan. Just the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. You hear feedback in the microphone. Somebody that knows what's going on says, man, one of the microphones might be on right now. And it's catching feedback. All these things. All the while, you're hearing me preach. And you're listening. And you're processing. And you're thinking. Your mind is an amazing machine that utilizes all of the senses all the time and never shuts off. Never stops working. Your mind is an amazing tool. And let me tell you something. You can do so much with your mind. Sandwich right between this idea. You got an old style, you need a new style. He puts a verse that says you got to renew your mind. Oh my goodness, what you can do with a made up mind. Where, oh somebody help me preach this thing. With the mind, Paul said, we serve the law of God. With the mind we choose. With the mind we trust. With the mind we believe. With the mind we make a decision. We make it as a choose this day whom you will serve. And with the mind, a man or a woman says, I and my house, we will serve the Lord. We, we can do so much with a mind. We can assess a, situa- a situation. We can evaluate our, our facts and we can look at all the figures and we can evaluate our feelings and we can still make a decision by faith and implement God's wisdom and pursue his will. With the mind we grow, with the mind we learn, we develop, oh, what God can do with a changed mind. Stay with me this morning. Something of this much value and capability demands protection and mastery. For it is your mind that becomes the battlefield for the enemy. Between your two ears, there is a battleground every day, every waking moment of your life where you are fighting against forces of evil, invisible entities with demonic agendas that come against your marriage and come against your children and come against your future and come against the things of God that are in complete contradiction to God's truth and you've got these falsehoods and these lies and all these thoughts that get planted, all these conversations that demons and devils and serpents hanging off of trees want to start in your mind and you're constantly being bombarded and a lot of people have no idea that they're sitting ducks, vulnerable, living defenseless lives, not knowing what the Bible says about spirit and mental warfare and how your mind is really the battleground for where all these things take place. We don't understand how our minds get so conditioned by the world around us. All day, every day, your mind is absorbing content from the world and it's placing it in its proper file only later to evaluate that information and push it into practice as an external lifestyle. I mean, without, without the proper education, many of us are having the world teach us its own systems. And it's getting implemented into our homes. It's getting implemented in the way we carry ourselves and the way we view the world as it is. And the world itself is shaping our view of marriage, our view of sex, our view of money, our view of people, our view of self, even our view of God. Yeah. Think about this. It's the world that distorts our view of God as creator. It's the world that distorts our view of the church as sacred, as marriage, as holy, and as Christianity as legitimate. Between the devil and the world, you got yourself too. Your mind gets corrupted by the sinful nature of your flesh, what you were born with as a sinner. This is just natural to us. It's natural. Our natural mind is inherently corrupt because it gravitates to evil. It's inclined to vanity. It's subject, listen to me, your mind, and naturally, your mind is subject to any and everything that is selfish and ungodly. Everybody in the room was born that way. You ever notice you don't have to teach a baby how to sin? You don't have to teach a baby how to act out. You don't have to teach a baby how to pitch a fit. You you have to teach a baby how to tell the truth, not lie. You have to teach a baby to keep its hands to itself, not hit other people. You have to teach a baby to conduct itself as a civilized human being and ask a question rather than throw itself on the floor and go in to flipping around and squirming and 
throwing a temper tantrum. Have you ever noticed that? That it's just natural? Because we have this sin nature we brought into the world. Paul, Paul says like this. He says, your former lifestyle, it's corrupt. It's corrupt according to deceitful lust. It's just jacked up. He, said, he says it like this. Y'all are all messed up. Y'all are jacked up. I say the same thing to us this morning. We are jacked up. We're corrupt. That Paul, 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 the greatest preacher that ever lived, the greatest missionary that ever lived, says, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing in my natural being who I am. He said, I am a sicko. I'm twisted. I can't seem to get it right. Am I preaching to anybody in this room? See? For much of our life, our mind has been engulfed and engaged in a state of deceit between the lies of the enemy, the conditioning of the world, the nature of our flesh. Our minds have been misled by deceitful lust. And we all grew up, whether we knew it or not, we all grew up with a mind that was wired incorrectly. All the wires are out of place. All of our ways of thinking, we've been exposed our whole life and didn't even know it to deceitful lust that bombarded and programmed the way our minds think. And, and here's the truth. We've all grown up seeing so much. Too much, really. Even now, while we live here in this life, we see so much. We see too much. We're being exposed to images that tell us this is how things are. This is how it should be. And all the while, it's conditioning our minds, telling us this is how your marriage should look. This is, this is what you do with your money. This is what romance is. This is how you raise your children. This is who God is. This is what church is. And we're just being conditioned by the world, lies and falsehoods, viewpoints, all kind of things that are direct contradictions of what God had in mind or intended for us. It's all just shaping and programming this supercomputer in your head. And you and I are being bombarded and programmed by images. Everybody say images. From childhood to adulthood, we're being programmed with the way things are through images. And they change our mind to process and perform a lifestyle that looks like what the world is inputting in our minds. So that's why you got to protect your eyes and your ears. Your eyes and your ears are the gateways to your soul and inner being. Your eye gate, your ear gate. And a whole lot of us in this room, we grew up with a corrupted view and a corrupted imagery of relationships and marriage and sexuality. For a lot of us, marriage, we, just, we grew up seeing a house where a man and a woman fight. They both keep a scoreboard, and she's always winning, and he's always leaving. Doors are always slamming. Voices are always raising. I'll, I'll just sleep on the couch. I'll just get away from you. I'll just eject this situation for a weekend. I'll go stay with my mama, and I'll take the kids too. Accusation after accusation. Temper, temper flaring after temper flaring. And we just, we, we, we saw all kind of different levels of mental or verbal, maybe even physical abuse. And we saw all of these images and they just became familiar to us. From a child up through our teenage years into adulthood, it was just so familiar that it became normal. And you know what you by nature always do? Exactly what I do. We gravitate to what we think is normal. That's why we can enter someone who's got a different idea of normal and we view what they think is right as completely wrong because I was conditioned and programmed to seeing all these images. This is how relationships work. This is how marriage is. It's like this for everybody. And then I bring my new normal into this world where someone has a completely different idea. Have you ever noticed you can put two people together and someone can so much gravitate to their normal that they will buck push and fight you just to make their environment feel like what was always familiar. They can have a right thing, but do so much to make it wrong because wrong just feels right. 
What do you mean? You're not going to leave? What do you mean? You're not going to reject me? You're not going to slam a door? Well, I'll slam a door. I'll make it right. Some of us, very few of us, were so engulfed in that that, 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 that through some miracle, you broke that cycle and said, hell or high water, am I ever going to let that demon traffic into my new normal and mess up what I've got going on with God? Right? Very few people ever come off that mountain. All these images condition us for a lifestyle that we think is just normal. Women, women are conditioned so much differently than men are by images. Like just, just like just 50 years, 50 years ago, women were conditioned with, it, with, with, with what they saw marriage to be and what they saw the home to be. The world conditioned women so much differently 50 years ago than they do right now in 2020. Just so much of a difference. Like, I remember growing up, playing with my cousins. We used to go hang out with my extended family every weekend. And every weekend, I would play with my cousins. I, I, we, had a ton, we had a bunch of cousins, and most of them were girls. And I remember the, the ones my age, they were girls. Um, and, and when we would play together, they'd want to play house. Remember that? Remember playing house growing up? Little Fisher-Price oven with the plastic eggs, plastic hamburger steak, and the little spatulas. And they'd set the little stools out, and, and, and they wanted me to play house with them. Whenever me and Ryan would play, they play, we're playing house. You want some tea? Have a seat. This is Dolly, and, and this is Annabelle, and, and you're going to be the daddy. You're going to be the daddy. I'm like, we're cousins. I ain't being a daddy. What you talking about? We're going to play house. I wanted to be outside, man. I wanted to be out kicking ant beds over and climbing trees and, and running from dogs and hitting baseballs and, and, and getting messy. And I, I wanted to be outside, man. I wanted to go play. I didn't want to know. I mean, you you trying to teach me responsibility. I'm a dadgum kid. You're trying to teach me what home life is. Ain't it funny that women grew up 50 years ago, 20 years ago, being conditioned for an environment that men were never being prepared for? If you're a boy and you grow up playing house, you got picked on. If you, I'm just saying, 20, 30 years ago, you were a boy, we gonna play house. We were talking about, get outside, let's go throw a football. Now, now things have culturally shifted. So, stay with me, I'm going somewhere. Now things have culturally shifted. So what? We, we've, got, we've got a mentality now and a culture in the world now that's, that's, that's doing the opposite effect. They're, 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 t- they're, telling, they're telling women, hey, don't, you, you don't need no dadgum Fisher-Price oven. Get out there and lead. You need a spirit of independence. You don't need to bank on no man. You don't need to trust no man. Get out there. You are a fierce woman. Hear you roar. Get out there and get it done. Be, be, be self-driven, independent. Be a, be a fire starter. Be an entrepreneur. Be all these things. And here's what's funny. When I'm talking about 50 years ago, when I'm talking about 30 years ago, and that statement I just made, many of us in this room, all kind of things going off in the control panel. Well, that ain't right. That ain't right. It's supposed to be like this. And my daddy told me and my granddaddy told me, see, Here's what's funny. We are extracting from decades and generational gaps what we think it's supposed to be based on images we all saw growing up. When all the while, while we arguing over daddy got it right, granddaddy got it wrong, mammy got it right, we are missing the big picture that nobody's looking at what God said. This is right. This is what I want. But we're extracting from a window of a decade saying this is how it's supposed to be. And while, while, while women are being conditioned in far greater ways of preparation, men are being conditioned in ways that don't appeal to the home, don't appeal to marriage. Men, men are being conditioned by images and they're seeing things and the imagery that conditions men is still boys will be boys. Let them Let them play. Let, let, them, let, them, let them go have fun. And we got 30-year-old men that never, they may have graduated high school, but they never climbed out of their boyhood mentality. 
And they come into a marriage never having the imagery of knowing what it's like to watch a man lead a family and love a woman. And then, and then they come to an altar and they get married and he has no idea what to do with this new normal because his mind's been programmed off the lack of what he saw. If anything, men are being conditioned for one thing, sex. The world's culture is so sexual and so sexually driven that the minds of men are being bombarded with all the imagery. And all Satan's done is adapt the methods of pornography to where it can fly under the radar in PG-13 movies, YouTube advertisements, commercials during the Super Bowl, halftime performances, and the sexual revolution that he pushed on the scene through one margin of demographic, he's now spread across every channel of influence in this world, and he's conditioning men for a mentality that's sexual-driven and of sexual nature. And all these images, all these images, they just build this imagination of how marriage is going to be, of how life is going to be, of what church is, of what God is. And your imagination is a very powerful thing. Don't you ever underestimate the power of your own imagination. In fact, you have more sensory receptors that get activated in your brain during imagination than when you experience the world through your physical senses. Close your eyes. Right now, everybody close your eyes. Imagine you're sitting in a beach chair. Relax, just relax. You're sitting in a beach chair. It's 87 degrees, but there's a cool breeze blowing across the sandy shore. It's five o'clock. People have left the sand, and you're out there with the tide rolling in. The water now touching your toes. Out of your peripheral vision, you see a ghost crab run and hide under the remnants of the seashells scattered amongst the sand. In your hand, attached to your armrest, is a tall, cold glass of Georgia sweet tea that you've been enjoying on this sandy beach in Florida. Seagulls chanting and calling on the sand dunes behind you and you're at a place of peace and tranquility. And you're in Destin, Florida for another five days. Open your eyes. You're still in commerce. <laughs> Got real there for a second, didn't it? No, you're still in commerce, baby. We got a while before June and July get here. Your mind and your imagination can become so vivid and so authentic that your imagination can become more real than reality itself. Ray Charles said that when he was five years old, he watched his brother drown. He lost his vision at the age of seven. I believe his parents died when he was 12 years old. And he said his outlet of pain was through music. And Ray Charles, he said his imagination was so vivid and so authentic that he could compose a piece of music in his mind through his imagination better and with more accuracy than he could compose music with his ear and his fingers at a piano. That The music he wrote, he wrote in his mind without ever striking one key on a piano. Many of us didn't marry a man or a woman. We married our imagination. And we did not realize that the individual that we said I do to would become the medium in which we would try to make our imagination come to reality. And we, we've imagined something so much with so many images that the imagination has now become an idea. Everybody say idea. The ideas that we have. 
This idea of what it's going to be like. This idea of what marriage is. This idea of what it's going to be like when I get this job. This idea of what it's going to be like when I start going to this church. These ideas, all these ideas, all these ideas, they, they shape our outlook and our views and our expectations for the rest of our life. And when you marry somebody, listen to me, listen to me. When you marry somebody, you get all their images and you get all their ideas. Somebody better talk to me this morning. When you, when you marry somebody, you're getting everything that's ever been connected to them. Direct and indirect. Yes, <laughs> that mentality, honey, it's going to be me and you against the world. I didn't marry your daddy. I didn't marry your mama. I didn't marry your mammy. I didn't marry your auntie. I didn't marry your kid. I married you. Hell or high water, it's me and you against the And you can say it all romantic like it's me and you, baby. It's just me and you. Nobody else. It's me and you together forever. Written in the stars. Cross your heart. Hope to die. Yes! Door. Oh, no bigger lie you could ever tell. No bigger lie you could ever say. When you married her, you married everything connected to her. When you come on, I need a witness. When you married him, you got his mama. You got his grandmama. You say they ain't living in a house. All the images and all the ideas that got downloaded into that framework came right to that altar. When you said I do, that did. And you got all of those ideas. And these two people, here's the truth. These two people, they come together with different ideas of what marriage is going to be. That's why, when they, that's why two, two people can say I love you and mean two different things. Because the images that created my ideas may come from a completely different piece of paper than what you concocted in your mind. I love different. That's why a lot of people can't stay married. Neither one of them understands there's a different love language being spoken by each individual. Men don't speak the same love language that women speak. And women don't speak the same love language that men speak. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've done this. I've done more weddings than I can count. And it's usually easier to do a funeral than it is a wedding. It's easier to bury them than to marry them. And many of y'all, I'm married in here. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm glad I got to marry you. And I hope I get to bury you. And I hope that, I hope that marrying you was more of a blessing than burying you. But a lot of people, a lot of people, they come to the altar with a completely different idea. And boy, I've walked out of pastoral suites with young men and old men. Men. They just, they just want to get through this. They don't care about that new dress. They don't care about the flowers. They don't care about, the, they don't care about the, the, the food. They don't care about who's there. They got to go out. They're the, the, the shaking. All they're trying to do is, what do I got to say? How many, what, what else do I got to repeat? I, I, okay, I got to say I do. And what about the ring? What do I got to say with the ring? All right, do I, what, if I, what if I drop the candle and light the place on fire? What do I do about all this stuff? And I'm trying to uh, breathe, man, breathe. Chill out. Let's pray. And, uh, just, uh, the only thing you got to remember is don't lock your legs. I, ain't, I don't want you to be on YouTube, me picking your carcass up off the altar. And they come to this altar with, 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 with just with, with one thing in mind. Now, this is, this is, I'm just speaking from a Christian perspective right here. They come with one thing in mind. Free, legal, holy, sanctified sex. Free, <laughs> legal, holy, whenever I want. However I want. The Bible said the bed undefiled. <laughs> He'd been conditioned. His mind. His mind. He, I, I won't feel guilty about it. I won't feel shame. No conviction. Have it before church. Have it after church. Won't feel bad. Can worship God with a clean heart. Pure hands. She'd been conditioned completely different. Completely different. I'm going to say a word. And something's going to come to your mind when I say a word. Intimacy. <laughs> Every man in the room. Intimacy. Sex. Hey, when you say a word like intimacy, a woman. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you where, you want to tell you where sex started? At the kitchen sink. At the kitchen sink. 
on, on the floor. Okay. Now, see, all the men right now are like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Do you want it over here? Do you want it over there? No, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. It stop, intimacy starts at you washing dishes. You washing dishes. She comes home and you washing dishes. She's going to be like, oh, my God. You're doing that? You are so sweet. Check. We don't think like that. Oh, man, conditioned like that. He got one dimensional viewpoint of it. They, they grew, with these girls, they grow up, they the romance and romantic novels, Fabio on the front with a horse and blue jeans and, and all these, these television shows and these, these notebook-driven movies and Celine Dion and Whitney Houston. And uh, we're always... He held me in his arms brushed my hair back from my face, and he kissed my forehead. When he kisses my forehead, I know he loves me. She, and he, he's, he's conditioned with just a one-dimensional viewpoint. Even, even the romantic aspect. Man, ain't we reading romance novels? They ain't, they ain't thinking about Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams in the notebook. How can I reduplicate that? Say, we suck at being romantic. A man getting his conscience clear, coming to the altar, man. He, he coming like, bless God, Denzel. <laughs> yeah. I see you over there. I see you. Got this, got this idea. And look, look, he comes in. A, it's going to be like this now. Because it's all sanctified. It's all purified. It's all holy. He's been conditioned by the world to think this one way and see it this one way. And she's been conditioned by the world to think and see it this other way. And they come to the altar and they get married and say, I do, and don't know what they did. Completely different ideas colliding at a commitment over raising kids. And neither one of them has any idea of the other one's idea. Now we got two incomes. I can spend more money. I can buy more stuff for my vehicle. I can get a better bow. I can get a bigger boat. We have more money. We can put the kids through college. We can save. Let's give. Let's invest in the church. Let's play. Let's go kick over anthills and let's play. And I'll work so I can spend. And I'll work so we can eat. I'll work so you've got a roof. Different ideas. Different ideas of how to discipline kids. Different ideas of what intimacy is. Different ideas of what contentment is. Different ideas of what reality is. And you know to make things worse? Men are having their idea of women being programmed by other men. A daddy wasn't the one that told them about women. It was a guy at the water cooler. It was a boy in six period with a cell phone and a video. And everything they're learning, they're learning from other men. And women, everything they're learning about men, they're learning from other women. Well, I tell you what I'd do with this sorry, you know what. I wouldn't put up with that. And you listen to her because you see beak marks on her henpecked husband. And every time she barks, he jumps. Man, she must know what she's talking about. I got to get my house in order. I got to get him right. I got to get this fixed. I got to get this hemmed up. Somebody's got to step up and lead this home because he ain't going to do nothing. I'm blaring the sermons louder and playing the worship music louder. And he still ain't getting it. I guess I'm going to have to start putting my foot down. And let me tell you something too. I know, I know what some of us in here are thinking. 
I'm gonna, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring him. I'm going to bring him over there to the church. I'm going to get Pastor Derek. Yeah, that's right, Pastor Derek. You straighten him out. You tell him how it is. You, you fix it right now. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell him what he needs to hear so he can come home and be a different man and fix all this. Because I've been trying to tell him and he ain't going to listen to me. Let me tell you something. This ain't ever, ever going to be about this man or this woman becoming the person you want them to be. It was never God's plan to make this person the person you want them to be. It's always been God's plan to make this person the person he wanted them to be. God ain't looking at your rule book. He ain't looking at your criteria and God ain't working off your checklist. Nobody's having their ideas programmed by God. We're having our ideas programmed by each other. And she's going from source to source, just trying to find her daddy. And it's not in this guy, and it's not in this guy, and it's not in this guy. And if she asks her mom, she's only got one narrow margin view of how men are, and it's coming from a bitter woman. This is real life stuff. And a man, a man, a man, a man, a boy becomes a man and he's thrown into the world with, all right, go figure it out. And he never had an image to give him an idea because he never saw bigger shoes walk in that path. And he has to go figure it out. With the world teaching him everything, with society telling him everything, with other men who wouldn't know God if he had a neon sign and a neon shirt, they wouldn't know a clue. And he's trying to figure out, how do I love a woman? How do I raise kids? And how do I be a man? Is it okay to hug my son? Is it okay if he cries? How do I protect my daughter? How do I love my wife? We have many teachers. We have not many fathers. And all these things we've seen, we carry them into the dating scene. Dating is worse, by the way. Dating is what makes it worse. You realize that, right? Dating makes it worse because you've got two people advertising a product that they're not really going to deliver. I'm not going to go any further. And they both end up disappointed, tolerating marriage five, six, seven years later, one facing the east, one facing the west at night. He's laid over on the side of the bed trying to go to sleep because he got to get up at 5 a.m. and he's frustrated and he's mad because he feels like he bought a bill of goods that didn't deliver. And she's sitting up on the edge of the bed, putting her, putting, taking her socks off, talking about work, talking about how she can't stand these other women she works with and how, oh, don't forget this weekend you got to clean the garage out and we got to go pick up Johnny from the baseball game and we got to be at my mama's house on Sunday because, you know, she wants to fix us then and we ain't been over there in six weeks and I need you to act like you're involved and I'll pull your phone out when we get over there. And he's just over there going, what the heck? I didn't sign up for this. And she looks at the back of his head and goes to sleep and thinks, I didn't sign up for this either. And they both came into something with an idea and nobody told them it was never God's. What you saw then is not how you see it now. And these ideas become idols. Everybody say idols. Your idol is the thing you're convinced that you will not find happiness or fulfillment until you get what you imagined. You worship this idol so much, this, this idea that has now become an idol of what a man or a woman could be, of what a marriage should be, of what your life should be. And you idolize it so much, you've become committed to making this idol a reality. Many people spend their time trying to change someone into the idol they worship. They do. 
a lot of marriage is spent with both people trying to manipulate and control the other one. Trying, trying to make the person be. Let me tell you something. When you impose your will upon someone, that's called manipulation. That's called control. I got a better word for you. That's called witchcraft. Somebody talk to me. It's called witchcraft. We got witches and warlocks casting spells in the home, trying to manipulate with a spirit of divination someone that they love to become someone they could really love. Might as well, might as well stick pins in a doll and call it voodoo. A lot of people don't realize that the truth about an idol is that it ain't real. Listen to me. An idol isn't real. It doesn't really exist. Perhaps the person that you idolize in your imagination, the marriage you idolize in your imagination, the intimacy you, you idolize in your imagination, the contentment, the fulfillment, the end-all, end-all satisfactory moment and level of, that you idolize in your imagination, perhaps it doesn't really exist. I mean, heck, does... Does the version of you that you think is there really exist? The best version of you, do you, does that really exist? Or is that just something you cooked up in your imagination? And to top it all off, we put kids into it. Think about it. To top it all, we bring kids into it. We bring them right in the middle of a war between wizards and witches. Casting our spells on one another. Giving our kids all over again new images that'll shape their mind and their imagination. And they grow up thinking they should try and change someone too. And they just watch a war take place at home. Oh, daddy left again. Is the door slamming. Mama's, mama's ahead right now. Oh, here comes daddy. He got it. Oh, good comeback. All right, now daddy's in the lead again. Oh, just back and forth, back and forth. And the reality is we are way too dadgum prideful to admit we're wrong. Somebody talk to me. We can't admit we're wrong. We won't say I'm sorry. We won't admit we need help. Heck, nobody wants help. Nobody wants help until it's too late. I've been doing this for a long time. I know what I'm talking about. The preacher is the last person they see before they go to a judge. Ain't it funny? My daddy's a judge and I'm a preacher. And we've both seen both stops. I'm the last exit ramp you see before you go see somebody like him. And when, you know what? When they come in my office, they already made up the mind. They've already decided. They just want to check their conscience box off. Hey, we tried. We went and saw the preacher. Let me tell you something. You can preach all the sermons. You can write all the blogs. You can write all the books. You can, you can, you can give them everything they need. You can say it all in a sermon. I need a counseling session with you. No, you don't. You need to re-listen to what I preached. And practice what I preach. Now, you don't need no counseling session. I mean, what am I going to tell you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the link. You can give them all that stuff. They ain't going to listen. They don't want help. They are so prideful and so selfish, they've already made their mind up. I'm doing this. I don't care hell or high water. I done seen green grass on the other side. I'm leaving this pasture. I'm leaving these sheep. I'm leaving this shepherd. I'm getting the heck out of here. I have, to, I have single friends out there living it up. They're fulfilled. They're happy. They lost weight. They're smiling. And all their pictures and all their little cropped, filtered, highlighted pictures, they look like they're enjoying themselves. They're having a good time. They're out there sleeping with whoever. They got more money now to spend on themselves. They got this nice car. They're living in a little town home and apartment and they're having it up in Athens and I'm just sick of this. I want a little piece of that life too. And you go out there and you end up that green grass and you get to eating that green grass and come to find out there's a septic tank under the green grass. A lot of us are being driven away with some alluring imagination in a field somewhere of this plush green lifestyle that don't exist. It ain't real grass. It's astroturf. And it's, nah, don't, just don't get me started. We idolize this. And God told me to tell you, and I'm done. It's time to change your mind. It is time to change your mind. Don't wait too late to get help. Don't wait too late to get help. Look, some of y'all can get mad. I'm going to pray for you to get delivered. All right? I'm going to pray for you to get help, not get mad. I didn't bring you over here to tick you off. I came over here to give you some help. 
I came over here to encourage you and tell you it ain't too late to get some help. It ain't too late to change. It ain't too late to change. We need a revolution in the home. Somebody better help me. I said we need a revolution in the home. Yes, we do. You can have a revolution in the home. But before you have a revolution in the home, you got to have a revolution in your head. That's why Paul said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We need a reality check. Somebody say reality check. Perhaps we saw the wrong images. Perhaps we had the wrong ideas. Perhaps you came to this church this morning worshiping too many idols. I want to tell you something. This is not about you fulfilling the life you imagine. This is you fulfilling the life that God imagined. This is about you becoming the person that God has destined you to become. Today, you need to remove the corruption. All them corrupted files that have been downloaded into your psyche, downloaded into your mind. Today's the day when we delete the hard drive. We clear the memory. We remove all the ideas, all the images, all the stuff you heard your mama say, all the things you saw your daddy do. If there's a vacuum of emptiness where you needed a role model in one of your parents and they didn't provide, they didn't protect, they didn't deliver, or maybe they were never there. I want to tell you today's the day you renew your mind. Clear that cachet from your head. Delete that hard drive and reset your computer. That old man you wearing on the outside of you it don't fit you no more that ain't who you are anymore that's who you used to be but when his blood hit your sin God gave you a new nature he forgave you he saved you he said if any man be in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new you used to be an adulterer you used to be a fornicator you used to be a hater and a murderer and an abuser and a thief and a liar but Paul said now you're washed now you're justified now you're sanctified now you're holy now you're his you've been adopted you've been delivered you've been rescued away with the old man and let's put on the new man starting with our mind do I got anybody in the room that'll help me preach this thing if you know I need a change in style. I got to change my style. It ain't too late to start over. God, where's my help at? It ain't too late to start over. Well, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You ain't an old dog. You might be an old man, but you ain't an old dog. And as long as there's still breath in your lungs and blood in your veins and a brain in your head, God ain't done with you. Maybe daddy didn't do it right. And maybe mama was too prideful to admit she was wrong. But there's a God in this room beating in your heart and moving in your head that said it ain't too late to get it right. It ain't too late to do it right. It ain't too late to be what I called you to be. It ain't too late. It ain't too late to reset, recalibrate, renovate and renew, rewire the control panel. My God, do I got anybody in this room that's changed in the last year? God been restoring, God been renewing. You've been walking into enemy territory and taking back stuff your granddaddy didn't have. Taking back stuff that your mama lost. Taking back stuff you thought you'd never have. And now you're a living testimony. You are living, breathing proof. God can do anything with anybody that's done anything. And it wasn't too late for me to change my mind. Change your mind. Change your mind and change your style. Who told, who told you? Who told you you couldn't be the leader of your home? Who told you you couldn't be a warrior? God called you a soldier. Who told, who told you you had to take a back seat while she drove? Live on autopilot because you don't have the spiritual juice in you. Who told you that? Who told you you can't be a prayer warrior? My God. Do you know what things happen when a home gets in order? When a home gets in order. She's the weaker vessel, not the lesser vessel. Weak, all that means is 
She's fragile. She's fragile. She's delicate. She was put together in such a unique way that her being fragile is what makes her valuable. And she's got meekness. She's got meekness, and meekness is strength under control. Meekness, I can claw your eyes out, slash your tires, and poison your soup. But instead, I'm going to pray over your tires. I'm going to drop olive oil in your soup, believe in God to anoint you, and I'm going to start trusting God to do that. You can do all them things for them, man. You know deep in your heart, I can tear you down or I can build you up, Joker. You're supposed to be a covering. Gentlemen, we're a covering for our wife. Church done made a doctrine out of this. Woman shouldn't pray or worship with her head. Or a woman prays and worships with her head covered. And a man worships and prays with his head uncovered. We, we went into church years back, made a whole doctrine out of this thing. Men can't wear hats in church and women, women, women have to wear a hat. Made a whole doctrine out of it. Missed the whole idea of what he was saying. A woman that is married has a covering, meaning there is an authority between her and the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that covering is her husband. He is her covering. So the hat, the covering of the, the garment over the head, was symbolic that there is a leader in my life between me and the Lord Jesus, and I have a covering, a protector. There is a shepherd in this house, and I am under, I follow God's authority by following the authority that he's anointed in my husband. When I'm, and the whole reason a man doesn't wear a hat in the worshiping of the church of Corinth is because Paul said y'all are getting it wrong. You're getting it wrong. It's symbolic that I have no covering. That's what a man said. I have no covering. I have my, hat, my head uncovered to signify that there is no authority between me and the lordship of Christ, meaning I am the authority. I'm the leader that I'm supposed to be. And as for me and my house, I've decided to serve the Lord. So I'm in stealing my mind, my values, and my belief in my home. We done made a doctrine out of it, got it all backwards. That's why you see a lot of old church and women got these big old hats on, mean as the devil, and roll the roost, got a hat on. And men, men, not God forbid, wouldn't dare wear a hat into the house of God. But he got beak marks all over him and he does what he's told. And he sleeps on the couch. Stop sleeping on the couch. Stop sleeping on the couch. You can't make me sleep on the couch. Have I ever needed to, given the gravity of my stupidity? Absolutely. Am I going to? No, because I can't restore nothing with you if I'm sleeping on the couch, mad at you, and you're mad at me. I can't restore nothing with you if I jump in my mom's soccer car and drive off down the road. If I leave, I can't separate from you to restore with you. I can't go live with my mama while she talks about you if I want to restore things with you. I can't go out drinking with my buddies and dancing with my friends and restore something with you. After tasting that green grass, who the heck wants to go home after that? Ain't it funny? Ain't it funny? We get on the other side of marriage and we idolize a window of our life when we used to date and sleep around with the lack of intimacy that we have in our marriage. Anything can be awesome in a window of time. Anything can be amazing in a window of time. There weren't no bills to pay together. You didn't live with one another. You didn't have to raise kids together. You were living a high life in moments, little sections at a time, where everything was passionate, everything was wrong, everything was on the line, everything was in the gray. And then we get in marriage and don't know why we don't have that again. Of course you can have fun in the moment in a window. You're only coming over on Monday and Friday nights. You don't tell me I'm amazing like them other girls did. You don't, you don't pet my ego like those other girls did. 
Don't make me feel like somebody, like them, anybody can tell you you're amazing when they're going to be leaving in the morning. I mean, in the, at, at night. Some of y'all ain't getting this. Let me say, y'all just, y'all just, lock the doors. Now listen. Don't be pressuring nobody. Somebody single in here, don't be asking them when they're going to get married. Don't be doing that to them. Don't be going to no sister or no brother going, hey, when you going to get married? When's your turn? Everybody else get Why would you want to put that kind of pressure on them? What do you think they're going to think about at night? You're supposed to be a godly influence and you telling them they need to hurry up and get married? Maybe. Maybe they got this whole thing figured out a little bit better than you. And they're willing to do what you didn't do, wait and pray. And they ain't jumping on the first thing that flexes because they've got a little bit of an integrity knowing I'm going to wait for the long game with God, knowing that if I wait on the Lord, he will deliver in his time and I ain't got to make something happen. These people get married. These young couples get married. Michael, Crystal, somebody come up and ask you. If somebody comes up and tells you, hey, when y'all going to have kids? When y'all got... Let me know. Let me know. I'm going to bop them upside the head. They just got married this past week. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Boom. Got married. But if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, when y'all going to have kids? Y'all need to go ahead and have Y'all just got married. Y'all need to go ahead and have kids? Uh-uh. Bump that. You don't need any pressure, conditioning, or programming your mind to do something at a pace that ain't of God. We just running this thing off in the ditch right now, ain't we? I'm t- listen, listen, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of counseling people that don't listen. Pastor Jeff is tired of counseling people that ain't gonna listen. You know you had your mind made up when you came in our office. You had your mind made up when you booked it. Don't come in and ask me nothing about nothing. You just need to listen to what I'm saying right here, right now. Admit you're wrong. Admit your mama was wrong. Admit your daddy was wrong. Admit you didn't get all the ideas and all the images. Admit you got idols that you, ain't, you don't need to have. You're like the children of Israel waiting on Moses to come down from the mountain. You get tired of waiting on God, so you make your own golden calf. And you're worshiping something that ain't even real. I want to tell you, it's time to go calf tipping. It's time to start knocking stuff over that don't belong in your life and don't need to exist. It's time to make the Lord God the only God that matters. Not a man, not a woman, not an idea, not an idol, not a marriage, not a future. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. You can be a godly man that leads your family in the fear of the Lord. You don't, you take yourself out of autopilot. I need, some, listen, where this church is going, I need some men who will draw their sword with me and go across enemy lines and help me fight the hordes of hell and live for Jesus in this community and be a testimony that God is alive and well and we are the representative. I need some men who will step up to the plate. None of this whole come one Sunday, miss five. I'm tired of that crap. I need some men to step up to the plate in this church and say as for me and my house we'll serve the Lord I'm going to love my wife I'm going to minister to my kids I'm going to pray with my family I'm going to learn the word I'm going to be a worshiper I'm going to serve him I'm going to fear him I'll decide if we give our money to this church I'll decide if we stay faithful I'm going to lead get on an autopilot She'll figure it out. I know one thing. 20 years, 20 years of dragging the kids to church, having to always talk to the debt collectors, having to fix stuff around the house, having to be the spiritual leader makes Jill a mean girl. Makes her mad because God put you at that altar to be the man that would lead that home. And when I say that, do you feel that when I said that? You said, I don't know who you think you're talking to. I'm talking to you, player. (laughs) 
I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Because there is an idea and an idol that makes you think you can't be that guy. And you find yourself on your face before that idol of fear and falsehood, making you think you can't be a spiritual giant in your community. That's a lie. Why in the world does God have you here right now hearing this message? Because he's trying to help reprogram your head and change your style. Why can't it be you? Why can't it happen in your home? Why can't it happen for your marriage? It ain't ever going to happen for none of us. Not me, not Ashley, none of us, until we come to a place where we get so honest and we, we shuck our pride to the side. We stop pleading ignorance and we stop acting innocent and we say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Why can I preach this stuff so detailed and so specific? Because I'm still trying to figure it out and I have messed it up so much that sometimes you just learn from your own experiences. If you're in this room and you're married to somebody that ain't what you imagine them to be, I want you to, I want you to prove your faith to God by waiting with this person. Because when I wait... I'm telling God, I trust you to turn them into what you want them to be, not what I want them to be. He may never be a pastor. He may never be a preacher. He may never be a walking Bible. He may never, he may never ever, he may get to the point where he can pray with us as a family, but he may never feel comfortable doing it. I'm not going to ask you to meet my checklist. I'm trusting you so much that I'm going to wait in this marriage to prove to you I believe you can change them. And I'm going to prove to him that he's worth the wait by not going anywhere. And if you're in this room and you're single, take every idea and every image and every idol and reset the computer. Because God's already got this thing figured out and he knows what perfect is. And all you need is God's idea. It's God's imagery. With no idols but the Lord himself and allow him to make this thing come to pass. Let's give him praise if you believe there's power when you change your style.